Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called The Return. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Uh, Every new supervisor at United Parcel Service knows this is going to happen to them in their first year. Um, It happened to me when I started working for UPS. Uh, Your first year as a supervisor uh, and that first year of management, you you get about two weeks notice and you're sent away to SBTS, Supervisors Basic Training School. And they typically send you to some location in the U.S. It's not a destination city. It's typically some place where it's going to be quiet. Uh, I was told that I was going to be sent to Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, a quiet little town, not much going on there. Um, and I left San Francisco, or my wife and I were living with her. With her at that time, it's just one of our one of our kids, our daughter. And I went to Kenosha. Now, I, I went to Kenosha, and I was tossed into this, this management boot camp where you're thrown into all these kind of different scenarios. Um, we, we joke that, that SBTS is the place where you get your brown blood transfusion uh, when you're working for UPS. Um, and, and, and then on this trip, I knew full well that the end of my three weeks away, we weren't allowed to come home during those three weeks, uh, at the end of my three weeks away, that when I got back to work, my first appointment on that Monday morning would be to go to my boss's, boss's, boss's office and, and, and sit in that office and have my three weeks at SBTS reviewed. Every moment, there'd be sort of a play-by-play commentary given by the instructors to my district manager. And I knew that going in. So I, I knew that I needed to just live completely on purpose in these three weeks, uh, knowing that I was going to have a face-to-face encounter with my, my, my district manager. Now, it'd probably be helpful for you to know that my district manager, remember the, um, you guys know the Incredible Hulk, right? The, the movies and the cartoons and all that. Uh, the, the TV show in the late 1970s, uh, uh, the guy who played, uh, you know, there's Bruce Banner, uh, but the, the guy who played the Incredible Hulk, uh, his name is Lou Ferrigno, a big muscle-bound guy, uh, green but not green in real life, you know, big, 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 super big guy. Well, Lou has a brother, his name is Larry. And Larry is also quite large. And Larry is the district manager of who I'm going to sit in his office. So I know at the front end of my three weeks at SBTS that at the end, I'm going to go and I'm going to go into Larry Ferrigno's office, brother of the Incredible Hulk, and I, I'm going to have to give an accounting for my three weeks in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The instructors are going to give the, all the feedback and at the end of my conference call, I'm going to find out where I rate or where I rank in the 46 other supervisors who are at SBTS. So when I come back, I get back on a Friday night, weekend with, with my wife and my, and my one daughter at the time. Monday morning, all the package drivers are sent out, and it's 8 o'clock. I go up, and, I, and I, I see Larry's assistant. She lets me in the corner office. I walk in, very intimidating. My heart is beating uh, quite, you know, quite significantly in my chest. Larry looks at me, doesn't even smile, just shakes my hand, and I'm, I'm just completely intimidated. Um, and I sit down, he dials some numbers on the phone, and the conference call begins. Now, the conference call ends, and he's beginning to have a discussion with me and interact with me, and there's another thing that might be interesting for you to know about Larry. Larry has narcolepsy. 
uh, which, which if you know what narcolepsy is, you just like fall asleep, like just like that. Um, and so he's talking to me, and then he falls asleep. What do you do when you're being reviewed by the Incredible Hulk's brother, and he's sleeping uh, in, this, in this kind of significant moment? Uh, so I, just, I literally reached over, I slapped my hand on his desk, and said, and I want to thank you for ranking me so high in that class. <laughs> and he said, yeah, 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 you did a great job. And I walked out of that office. <laughs> it... Uh, one of those, you just don't forget those moments, you know. It didn't quite go how I expected it to. But, you know, again, at the front end of my SBTS experience, I knew that meeting was going to happen. And so I lived purposely, uh, just, I just intentionally, I knew I was, what, I knew that meeting was coming. I knew that face-to-face encounter was, was happening. And I think you know where I'm going here. What I want you to know is we're wrapping up our series uh, on the return this, this week. And I want you to know that each and every one of us is going to have, after Christ returns, as, as we enter into, in, in, into heaven and, we, and we, we start thinking about the future in heaven, each and every one of us is going to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. We're going to walk into the corner office, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's, it's not going to be the Incredible Hulk's brother, but it's going to be Jesus who loves us and likes us. But we will give an accounting for our lives. And I want to talk to us about that today. And I want to talk to us about how to make that a great day. Now, just to recap this series a little bit, we began by saying that this, this whole topic of the return of Christ is not a peripheral message in the New Testament. It's a front and center message. Uh, that, that this was the hope of the early church. This was the teaching of the apostles that Christ was coming back for his bride, the church. And we also touched on the fact that, that when Jesus was answering the question that the disciples asked about when, when's this going to happen? He, he said, you're not gonna know the day or the hour. Um, and he said, he gave us one clue and said that, you know, but it would be like the days of Noah. And uh, he adds some details and says, you know, that people will be getting married, there'll be parties, there'll be banquets. And really what he's getting at is that normal life will be going on and, and he will return when people least expect it. And another little important thing to notice about the days of Noah, that the days of Noah were days when people had moved off their moral center, meaning that what was right uh, was now wrong, and what was wrong was now being celebrated as right, and it broke God's heart. And I just want to say, even the events of this past week in our own country, uh, we, we think of what's happening, we can see this happening, that what is right is being called wrong, what's wrong is being called right, and, and, and so that's actually one of the things that has to happen, because Jesus said it would happen before his return. And, and that is not to you know, sort of invoke fear or panic. It's, it's to allow us to be light in the darkness and to look and anticipate for Christ's return. And he taught us how to look by giving us signs, signals about certain things that you could expect in the last days. And again, those signs are not to cause panic. They're actually to, to cause us to be a ready people. We talked about ignoring the false claims of false messiahs. That, you know, if someone says, hey, there's someone out in the desert and they're performing miracles and they say they're Jesus, um, to ignore that because Jesus, his return will not be a localized event. It will be a global event. No one will miss the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus used the metaphor of lightning. He says, when it flashes in the east, you see it in the west. 
Uh, it will be a global event. You cannot miss the return of Christ. So just ignore the false claims of false messiahs. And one of the best ways to prepare yourself is to keep your heart hot. Just to keep a deep love for Jesus, an abiding love for Jesus. Uh, make that present in your friendship with him. Um, and we, last week we looked at the four parables and Jesus' description of, of, of that uh, day of judgment. And I'm, I want to talk more about that, that judgment, that face-to-face encounter that each and every one of us will have with Jesus Christ. Now, the whole idea of judgment typically doesn't elicit positive uh, sort of thinking. We think judgment, we think negatively. Um, but again, I, I want to talk to you about how to make this a great day, that to be a ready people that would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I, I do want to talk about the two judgments that the Bible talks about. The first one's called the great white throne judgment. It gets its name from this verse in Revelation chapter 20. It says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all who were judged, all were, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now let me just just state this up front. There's two judgments. Uh, One would be for for a judgment for those who have rejected Christ or who haven't put their faith in Christ. The the way your name is it makes it into the book of life is simply by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But I just really want to be crystal clear on this one. You know, there's fun stuff to talk about, and then there's the kind of stuff that's difficult to talk about. And when it comes to judgment and it comes to the great white throne judgment, you need to know if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, your name will not be in that book of life. Which is why we so often make it available to folk, for folks to come and give their life to Christ. To, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. To acknowledge that, that we are a broken people, we're a sinful people in need of forgiveness. And understanding that Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid each and every one of our sin penalty. He paid mine. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ can be assured, and, and turns and walks in the way of Christ can be assured that their name will be in the book of life. And this is not a judgment that you will encounter But I do want to make sure I'm crystal clear on this today, that if you have not put your faith in Christ, would you seriously consider the claims of Christ? Would you, maybe even today, even as I'm speaking, this is totally permissible. This happened last week. Someone just got up in the middle of my preaching, walked over to the cross, wrote their name on a white ribbon, pounded it on the cross, just felt like they needed to deal with it at that moment. Perhaps that's you today. that's something you need to do. Maybe a little bit later as we celebrate communion, we're coming up and, we're, and we're, uh, we're lined up to take bread and dip it in the cup. Maybe your first journey is to the cross to, to settle this, this whole relationship, this reconciliation that you need with God. That, that, that is something that you need to hear with crystal clear clarity for me today. Because the great white throne judgment is a judgment for all people who reject Christ or who are not in, in relationship uh, with Jesus. The second judgment is for believers. 
This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul writes, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, this is something we don't talk about much. This whole idea that, you know, because we, we talk about grace, and grace is a powerful thing. It's by God's grace, through faith, we've been saved. That God graciously gives us the gift of salvation, we put our faith in Christ. But when we are converted, we're actually converted from one, one way of life to a new way of life, and we now walk in the way of Christ. And so uh, we need to know that as Christ followers, we too will have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. But it's not about, am I good enough to be able to, to, have I performed well enough to enter into heaven? Friends, the performance has all been done. The performance was done on the cross. Jesus Christ took all our sin, past, present, and future, upon himself. We will never be able to perform well enough to make it into heaven. This judgment is not about that. This judgment is now about what have you done with the life that you've been given. It's not a popular topic. A.W. Tozer, who tends to be sort of just straightforward and blunt when he writes and speaks, said this. It has been settled forever that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It has been settled forever that we are regenerated men and women, meaning we're born again men and women. But the great mistake in our day is the total disregard for the fact that believing Christians are on probation from day to day, proving the character of our faith and testing and preparing us for the world to come, justified and saved, but on trial. That is where the Christian should hold himself. But we are so eager to get out from under all responsibility, we kick up our irresponsible heels like an unbroken colt and snort our defiance of all judgment. He, he kind of makes a point there, right? <laughs> what, he, what he's trying to get at is, yes, we have received salvation, but friends, how we live our lives matters. And we will have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus one day. And this will be a great day, or it could be a day you suffer loss. In fact, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, kind of fleshes this out a little bit. He writes, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of of flames. What, What Paul is saying here is, Look, he uses this architectural sort of metaphor. Jesus Christ is the foundation. How we live builds on that foundation. And there will be some people who build with gold, silver, and jewels, and that will stand the test. That's building with something that has value. But on the flip side, there will be people who build with with wood, hay, or straw, and that will not survive the, the fire, and it will be burnt up. They will be saved. This is not about did you make it or not. This is about, have you lived a life that is pleasing to Christ? Because when you do, he will reward that. 
Now, years ago, I was in Colorado, some meetings in Colorado Springs, and there was these wildfires, wildfires, wildfires that had swept through a, a neighborhood. And we were driving through this neighborhood. It was actually kind of eerie. You're driving through this neighborhood, and the homes have all been consumed in the fire. Yet there's these, these chimneys, these brick chimneys that were just standing all along the hillside. It was the only thing that remained. Everything else was consumed. As we think about that day, when we see Jesus face to face, one of the questions we should be asking is, what is the gold, silver, and jewels? What is the stuff that has value? What are the things that last? What's valuable to Jesus? That would be really important to know. And so what I want to do is is to help us and prepare us to be a people that when we have that face-to-face encounter with Jesus, when we walk into the corner office of the King of Kings, that you would know ahead of time and that you could live purposely knowing that you are going to see him and that you would walk in and when your life is tested, that there will be gold, silver, and jewels. Your life will be seen as one that pleases Christ. And so I just want to walk through and talk about the rewards, the thing, the kind of things that Jesus rewards. But even before I get there, I need to speak to just a few misconceptions about rewards. For some, uh, you, you, might, you might come to the conclusion, well, rewards, that's all about selfish motivation. I just, you know, I'm a follower. I'll just be glad I'm in heaven. Um, well, let, let me just tell you this. The rewards are Jesus' idea. So you're going to have to get over that. All right? It's his, his idea. You're going to have to just kind of accept that, that whole concept that he wants to bless, that he wants to commend, he wants to affirm. Uh, and also, I want to say is that, you know, I hear some people often say, well, I mean, I'll just be happy if I'm sitting in the back row of heaven. I'll just be glad I, I made it. And I appreciate that, that humility. And I'm not pointing out people who are sitting in the back row today. That's totally okay. There is room up here if you want to come up. But, but here's, here, I hear people say that, you know, I'm just, I'll be just happy to have made it. I'm in the back row. Well, what if God's call on your life was the front row? And what if... You're sitting in the back row because your life wasn't, wasn't characterized by faithfulness. Jesus wants to reward and affirm and commend faithfulness. I've even heard someone say, you know, oh, I'll just be happy with the shack in heaven. I'll just be glad to be there. And I always kind of chuckle at that because that these are typically people who aren't, who aren't content with a shack here on earth. So what makes you think they're going to be content with a shack in heaven? I think it's all our, yes, we're sort of downplay. I just, I just want to make it. Here's the thing. Paul, in that verse, says, just barely making it is suffering great loss. I don't think there's a person in this room who wants to suffer great loss. There's a full reward for you. And it, it's not a motivation of I mean, a selfishness. Look at it this way. Look at it as being motivated by pleasing Christ with your life. And then... Having that face-to-face encounter with Jesus and hearing those words, well done. You've lived your life with, and you've built on the foundation that I've given to you in this gift of salvation. You've built with gold, silver, and jewels. Enter into your rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. So what, what's the gold, silver, and jewels? I, what, here's what I want to do. I'm just going to point them out. And I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I'm just hitting the things that Jesus, when he's talking, he, he, he mentions things that he specifically will reward. I think it's connected to this judgment seat of Christ, uh, judgment for believers. 
He's, he's talking about a future inheritance. I'm just going to walk through the list fairly quickly, read some scripture. When I'm done, we'll put the full list up on the screen. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and, and then we'll move to, to celebrating communion. But the first thing I want you to notice that, that I, would, I, th- I think qualifies as gold, silver, and jewels is a humble, unseen spirituality. Uh, listen to these words from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair. And wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. What Jesus is getting at, he's talking to Pharisees who love to put on a show so they can look super religious and spiritual. And what Jesus is saying is that, well, that, that's the reward, the public admiration. But he's watching what happens in private. He's watching the prayer and fasting that's done in secret. And he will indeed reward those who have this humble, unseen spirituality. Matthew chapter five, we get our second one. Uh, We'll put it this way, glad acceptance of injustice and false accusations. Listen to Matthew five, verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. This is his glad acceptance of injustice and false accusations. Jesus notices, and it pleases him. And by the way, when Jesus went to the cross, he was mocked, he was insulted, he was persecuted, and he was silent, and he embraced the suffering. And when we do that, we are being like Christ. Third thing I'd want you to notice that uh, that Jesus notices is hidden financial generosity. Matthew 6 Uh, Verse 2 says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So we have this hidden financial generosity that, that, that Jesus notices. And then we go to our, our, our next one. Uh, unreciprocal hospitality. We see this in Luke chapter 14. Um, Luke 14, Jesus is telling a story. And he turns to his host and says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. This is unreciprocal hospitality. Now, one of the dysfunctions of the Fowler family um, is, Trina and I talk about this, we we talk about this idea that we're, we're ledger people. 
Meaning that if I clean the kitchen, in my mind, I feel like I've scored some points. Okay, I've done something good. I've, I've scored like five points. And Trina, she knows that. So what she, what she, she kind of is at unrest because she needs to score some points so that when we put our heads in the pillow, the books are even. All right? You probably aren't like that, but that's, that's, we're like that at something. We, we, if someone does something good for us, we want to do something good for them. We want the books to be even. In fact, this has even happened in our neighborhood. Uh, a couple years ago, we bought uh, Christmas ornaments uh, through Salem Free Clinics. You know, we, we sell those at Christmas time. And we bought some for our neighbors, wanted to meet some neighbors we hadn't met before. So we took the Christmas ornament over, uh, got into some conversation, learned some names, heard some stories, and uh, went back. I thought that was pretty cool. And then the next day, the doorbell rings, and it's our neighbor that we gave the Christmas ornament to the day before, and they're bringing us a plate of cookies. And uh, so we had some conversation. The door shuts, and Trina looks at me, and she goes, ledger people, just like us. They just couldn't, they couldn't take it that we had done something nice for them. They had to repay us. Um, and, and so what, what Jesus is getting at is there is this, sometimes this even gets twisted a little bit farther, that we actually do things for people expecting something to be repaid. We're expecting a benefit because we did something good or something nice. What Jesus is saying is be hospitable, be loving, be caring to people who have no capacity to repay you. They don't, they don't have the resources. They don't have the ability. If you love on people, if you're hospitable to people like that, who have no capacity, no resources to repay you, what Jesus is saying is, I'll repay you. Because I notice it pleases me, and there is reward that is yours. That's gold, silver, and jewels. Next thing I want you to notice is found in Colossians chapter 3. This is actually something Paul, the apostle, writes about. It's faithfulness in your vocation or your job. Paul writes, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. The, the, the principle here is, is simply that, you know, some of you are in some pretty tough work situations. Maybe you have someone you report to, a boss that's, that's really a tough person to work for. Um, maybe they think they're God. Uh, and they, they behave like they're God, and uh, they make life miserable for you. What, what Jesus or what Paul is saying here is, look, you may have a difficult person you report to, but that's no excuse to treat your employer poorly. In fact, what Paul is saying is, is saying, treat your employer as if they were Jesus. When they're watching, when they're not watching, be faithful in your jobs as employees. And he notices, and he says, Paul says, there will be a reward for that. Uh, another one I'll put up on the screen here is mercy extended to the unmerciful. I, I found this one in Luke chapter 6. Uh, mercy extended to the un unmerciful. Uh, Jesus says, but to you who are willing, listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. 
Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Your enemy is someone who would love to see you fail. In some ways, they're actually... They're actually trying to devalue or maybe even trying to, to insult you and, and, and assault you and, 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 and tear down your character. And what we have to remember is simply that people are never the enemy. They feel like it, but we need to understand the enemy is the enemy. And sometimes people come under the influence of the enemy and it just feels like we want to pay them back and make them hurt because they've hurt us. What Jesus is saying here is love your enemies. Guys, this is tough. I don't want to love my enemies. I I want them to feel the pain that I'm experiencing. But what Jesus is saying is that when we respond to, to insults and persecution and to being mistreated with love, we are responding in a way that Jesus would respond. He notices, he sees it, and he rewards it. One last one. I want to give us a speech that builds up. Mark chapter 12 Jesus says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The, 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 the word idle there literally means words that hurt. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So if you flip it around on its head, words of life, words of encouragement are words that Jesus notices and words that he rewards us for. Now, I'm just gonna put this whole list up here on the screen. And these are all the ones I've just quickly walked through them. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Because the, the, the human side of us will look at a list like that and go, yeah, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not. We, we notice all our deficiencies, right? This is not about trying better or trying harder. This is about transformation and becoming more like Christ. So let me just start with Find one of those on the list that you say, you know what, I think that's an area that I've been growing in. I think that's an area where I've seen, I've seen some growth in my life. Maybe it's the mercy extended to the unmerciful or speech that builds up. So find one in there that you can say, I, I think I'm growing in that one. And then maybe see this as a potential list of ways to pray. Maybe there's one in here that you feel like you, really, you need to grow more in. Just find, turn that into a prayer request. Lord, help me to, to be a person that is generous and, and, and generous in the way that I don't need credit for my generosity of time or my generosity of resources. Just look at that list, not as a list like I gotta perform to this level. Just look at this list. These are things, these are ways we can grow that please Christ. So again, we run our life through that filter and we notice what Jesus notices and this is just a, just a beginning list of what might be considered gold, silver, and the jewels, the stuff that has value to build our life with. Now, a lot of years ago, when I was in college, uh, I was dating this girl, and I was pretty much head over heels for her. And we were at summer break, and I was driving back to college, and she lived close to the college that I was attending. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to show up a day early. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hang out for a week, 
And I'm going to show up a day early and surprise her. So I drove down. I was so excited about that. And I, I, I drove down and I knocked on her door and she saw me. And um, I just kind of picked up uh, that, that she wasn't as excited to see me as I was to see her. Uh, a couple days later, I uh, realized that she kind of had another boyfriend. Um, and so that was a bit, a bit of an awkward week. Um, that relationship ended uh, about a year later. I started uh, started dating this this uh, young lady by the name of Trina Holsty. Um, she would eventually be my wife. Um, but I, I I was working at UPS at the time, and I had a week's vacation to see her during a summer break. And so I thought, here's a great idea. I'm just going to leave a day early and surprise her. So I am booking it from San Francisco up to Hood River, Oregon, where she's working at this hotel. And, um, and I'm about halfway there, and it dawns on me what happened last time I did this. <laughs> and so I'm like, is this really a good idea? Uh, and I'm, but I'm very excited to see her, and um, I'm so excited that I get pulled over by the police, and I just keep going. Um, and, and I... And I knock on the door, and she opens the door, and she is completely surprised, and she's very excited to see me. Um, and, of course, that relationship grows, and eventually we, we end up getting married. Now, as we wrap up this series, uh, let me just ask this question. When Christ returns, are you going to be happy about his return, excited to see him? Because if you're not excited to see Jesus when he returns, that, that could be a problem. Because he's gone away to prepare a place for you, for me, for us. And he's asked us to prepare ourselves and to be a ready people. And as we consider his return, my prayer for us is that we would be ready, that we would be a people who we stand before him face to face. We would hear those words, well done, and that would be a great day for us. And that's my prayer for us as a church. Let's pray to that end together. So Lord, today, we bless your name. We thank you that, uh, that, that you are God who has saved us. You are God who has given us life. You are a God who longs to generously reward. So I just bless your church today. I bless each and every person in this room. I ask and pray, Lord God, that you would empower them to live a life that pleases you. I pray that when they see you face to face, they would be able to respond with joy, knowing that they lived a faithful life. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.